Acts chapter 1, and look at verses 1 through 11. So let's give our attention to God's Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Grass withers, flowers fade away. The word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we know because you've told us that these are your words, that you have spoken to us through your Son, your word incarnate, and your word recorded here. And so, Father, we would be foolish not to ask you to come and to teach this to us. And so we ask that you would be with us tonight by your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate these words to us, that you would open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears, Lord, to understand, to hear, and to see something of your grace and mercy in Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so about, I don't know, a month ago or so, I was sitting on my couch. Saturday or Sunday afternoon, uh, everybody's taking naps. I just woken up from mine. I was sitting on the couch and trying to find something on TV. And as many of you know, like Swamp People and such like that, the History Channel has become one of my favorite, uh, favorite channels on TV. And so I go check the History Channel, and they're showing a documentary called America, The Story of Us. It's a 12-hour-long documentary um, that spans America from, you know, 1600s even uh, until present day, basically. Um, And so I, you know, it was actual history, so I kind of didn't want to watch it. Nobody was catching an alligator or anything. But So I left it on. I think I was playing a game on my phone, and I found myself starting to watch it. And the more I watched it, the more intrigued I became. And I I commend it to you all because it's actually a very good documentary. Um, And I got into it, and I I just kept watching it was fascinating. And what I found fascinating about it is that it, it, it was very well done, and they kept relating everything back to present day. Um, whatever event or people or places that they were talking about, they, they did a great job of showing you how, how it's impacted America. Um, how, we, you know, uh, how we got to be where we are today. Uh, one of the examples that you know, was in the portion that I watched uh, they talked about in 1911, 
in the Triangle Shirtwaist Company's factory in New York City caught fire. Uh, so there's a bunch of people working in this building, catches fire. 145 people die in this fire. It's the worst uh, workplace tragedy in New York City before 9-11 um, because they couldn't get out. And so they said that's actually the reason because this you know, event happened in 1911. That's actually why even today we have certain things like uh, codes about how many door, exit doors you have to have. Um, it's why exit doors open outward and not inward, right? Makes sense. Um, they talked about the Great Depression, and they showed how it helped to form our resilience as Americans and, you know, the spirit that we have, and it affected how we fought in World War II, and then, and then how the outcome of World War II affected, you know, basically um, so much of how we think and act today as Americans. And so watching all this, it was fascinating, and it kind of began to dawn on me that... <laughs> History really is important, and it's actually really fascinating because it helped me understand my context. Like, you don't, you know, I don't just exist in this, you know, in America today, didn't just get plopped here from nowhere, that uh, I exist in a context, right? Um, this, came, this all came to be somehow. Um, and it, it actually sort of excited me to realize that, it, it, it did a great job of pulling me in and making me think, hey, I'm a part of this. Like, I'm an American. Um, you know, I mean, I kind of wanted to run out and go vote or you know, do some sort of civic duty because, you know, as they, they showed the good and the bad about America, and you, I kind of began to think, I mean, this is really, this is really cool. Um, I'm a part of this. Um, and so it helped me really understand the world around me a little bit, helped me understand myself. Um, and then I actually play a part in this history. And so that, in, in a very real sense, is what we're going to do this semester. We're going to look at the book of Acts, which is really the story of the church. The story of Christianity and the church. And I think, if right now you're thinking, that could not sound more boring... I want, I want to pitch to you to, to hang with us because I think what you're going to find is that it's going to be fascinating because think about it. How, how did the church, basically this semester we're going to look at this question. What's so special about the church? How did the church go from, and by, when I say church, church, Christianity, kind of using those uh, interchangeably. How did the church go from a small handful of guys, and guys and girls, small handful of folks that were flawed, out, social, religious outcasts whose spiritual leader was dead. They're on the periphery, just a handful of folks. How did it go from that to becoming, at least arguably, the most influential and controversial movement in the history of the world? Think about it. That, that's pretty amazing. What is it about the church that's allowed it to do that, that's caused it to do that, to not only just hang on, but to grow and, and really cover the globe. So what is it about Christianity and the church? And I think what we're going to find, the reason we're going to do that, uh, one of the, the byproducts of that, is I think it's going to help us to answer, um, I guess just to put it bluntly, our boredom with the church. I think it's very easy, if you're a Christian, to be bored with the church. And so what I want to do by this study, by looking at the history and seeing each week, what is it about the church that's so special? I think what it's going to do is infuse your Christianity 
um, infuse our understanding of, of the church and the gospel with some life. Um, and if you're not a Christian, then I think this study is, is going to sort of do for you, uh, I hope, what uh, the documentary did for me. If I was not an American, I would have signed up right then. Because <laughs> you watch that thing, you think, that is amazing, and I want to be a part of it. Hopefully, maybe, that will happen for you. So just what is it about the church? Uh, the passage that we, that we have tonight, starting out in Acts, all right, it's packed with, we could talk all semester on this one passage, but obviously we don't have time for that. Uh, or we do, but we want to talk about more than that. Um, so I want to key in on one thing, and it's this, that Christianity, or, or the church, what is, what's so special about it? It understands reality. The church has, uh, it has the truth about what's real in this world. And by that, what I mean is real in this world, is that it understands that it's a part of, that it's in the middle of, the kingdom of God. It understands reality because it understands that the very point of history is the kingdom of God. So I want to see quickly tonight four things about that kingdom. Number one, what is the kingdom? Number two, the kingdom is real. Three, the kingdom is not what you expect. And then fourthly, the kingdom is ruled by the king. So first point, very quickly, what is the kingdom? Just when I say that, what does that word mean? Um, We need to define it. Jesus' primary message when he was on earth was the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he talked about, the kingdom of God. And that good news is that God, who reigns in heaven, rules and reigns in heaven, that he's the ultimate king of the universe, the ultimate king of everything, and he's bringing his rule and reign to its fullest expression on this earth. That he's bringing it from heaven to here. And it's good news because it means that everything finally, one day, someday, is going to be made right in the world. All right, so just a quick point of application. I want, I want you to see one thing that that means. I want you to see how right out of the gate, the story of the church is anything but boring, right? I mean, did, did, you, did you catch what, what this is about? Christianity understands that what's really going on in life what everything is really all about is that Jesus is taking over the world. Think about that. That's, that's a big deal, right? To say that Jesus is taking over the world is a big deal. Um, Jesus' mission is it's not confined just to the religious sphere. Jesus doesn't want to be just uh, you know, another religion. Um, he's bringing something that the kingdom applies to everything in this life. So that leads us to our second point. That, very simply, the kingdom, this kingdom is real. This kingdom that we're talking about is very real. Um, Jesus actually lived. He's a real person. He really died. Look at verse 3. He presented himself, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about what? The kingdom of God. Um, Jesus really lived, really died, really rose again from the dead, right? It's very real. Uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, Luke wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts, goes out of his way to show you that this really did happen. And the reason that I I push that uh, on you tonight is to say this, that, that the claims of Jesus Christ, what Jesus 
the message that he has, what he's come to do, is it, it actually forces you into a decision. In a sense, it, it makes you do something about it. Right? Um, he claims to be the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. Right? Take off your church ears and, and try to hear that again fresh. He claims to be the Son of God who was killed and then rose from the dead and is now bringing the kingdom of God. That forces you to, to make a decision about it. Um, maybe you've heard the saying that Jesus is either, uh, what is it, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Right? Those are your three options. Um, and I think that's true. The reality of Jesus' kingdom, that he's the king, that he's come to reign, it forces you to do something with it. Um, and it's not just those facts that, make you, that force you into a decision. Uh, it's what he spoke to his disciples about. Right? He says... He spoke to them, his whole message is about the kingdom. And the fact that he's bringing a kingdom runs headlong into what you and I are doing. Which is, by our nature, we're building our own kingdom. That's what we, as people, as sinners, that's what we do. We're fundamentally setting up our own little kingdom. So when Jesus comes and says that he's bringing the kingdom, it kind of forces you into a decision. See if I can give you an illustration, uh, maybe to help with that. When I was in high school, I think I was in 10th grade. I know I was in 10th grade. And I got in trouble. I wasn't, you know, particularly bad kid. I didn't give my parents a whole lot of grief. But for about six months, I think, in 10th grade, I decided I was going to be that guy. And, you know, just kind of totally went the opposite direction, kind of did whatever I wanted to do. Um, And I got caught. My parents uh, caught me. And my dad looked at me the next day. And he, so this is sort of uncharted territory because, you know, again, I wasn't, you know, regularly getting in a lot of trouble. And he, we sat down and he said, listen, I'm not going to do anything. You know, you, nothing's going to come down on you. But I'm going to make you a promise. If you do that again, before you graduate high school, I promise you, you will not drive a car until you leave for college. It's the way it is. And you could, I could tell he's completely serious. He, he's willing to stick to it. Um, so that, that would have been two and a half years of no car. So I knew my dad was serious. So if you think about it, so my dad, right, is the authority of the house, the king, if you will, his little kingdom. And he set this reality before me. He said, look, this is how it's going to be in this house. And now I have some options. I can... Completely ignore, pay no attention to what he's saying, right? And, and do whatever I'd like. I can believe what he's saying and still do whatever I'd like. Or I could, I could accept it and live within the bounds of that reality, right? But by the very nature of what's going on, it's a reality that I'm forced to deal with. I've got to make a decision. And so I think... For us, and maybe in some senses, especially for you in college, um, you have the opportunity in college to build a kingdom in a, in a more unique way than any other time in life, right? You have the opportunity. It's the first time you're, you're out on your own. You're free from your parents. You really get, you get to do whatever you want to do, right? Um, and you can do whatever you want, and you get to sort of become your own person. And really the question of college, in some sense, is how are you going to define yourself? Maybe in other words, what kind of kingdom are you going to set up? And I used to tell our, uh, 
when I worked in youth ministry, I used to tell my high schoolers, here's the secret of college. Whatever you want, you can get it at college. Whatever it is. If it's, you know, sex, drugs, you know, friends, sports, Xbox till 3 in the morning, whatever it is you want to do, you can find it at college. And that's the truth. Um, And so all those things, we use all those things to uh, basically build up our own kingdom. And so the very fact that Jesus come and said, I'm bringing a kingdom, forces us to a decision. And so I just want to ask you, uh, as we wind this up, uh, with a little application. It's a question to everybody, especially if you've rejected Christianity, or at least practically rejected Christianity, right? Um, or you're, you're searching. How is your kingdom going? How is your kingdom that you've set up for yourself? Uh, and I, I ask that tenderly in love. I'm not trying to be smart about it. Um, but... Who or, or what is in charge of your kingdom? And are they ruling it well? How's your kingdom going? I want you to keep listening tonight and hear about the beauty of being in the kingdom of God. Being in the reality of the kingdom. Second, third point. I didn't renumber them. Third point. The kingdom is not what you expect. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together... The, the apostles, disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? As I was studying on this, I read John Calvin, uh, his commentary on this, and um, he said that there is many problems with that question that the disciples ask, as there are words in it. Um, because it's evident that the disciples here don't understand the nature of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, that has brought and is bringing. And that's the first thing. I jotted down like four, but I only want to look at one of them. They don't understand, uh, but we, we now do, that the kingdom, is, the kingdom is now and it's not yet. It's already and it's not yet. Jesus brought the kingdom and is bringing the kingdom. Um, secondly, the kingdom is primarily spiritual and not physical. Uh, that is, it's about your soul. It's about your heart. Third, the kingdom is... The kingdom is not, a, it's not nationalistic, right? They want, when are you going to put Israel back on top? He says, no, that, that's not at all what I've come to do. Um, it's an inclusive kingdom. It's about the whole world. But the one I want to focus on for us tonight is this. That the kingdom is advanced by witnesses that are normal, everyday, sinful people. All right, think about this. If you're one of the disciples, this has to come as a shock to you, right? Jesus, when he's alive on earth, he claims to be the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to bring everything back the way it's supposed to be. And then he dies. Sad. You know, what's going on? But then he raises from the dead, right? So we're back on. And then, so the disciples are obviously excited about this, and they say, Jesus, now are you going to do it? Now are you gonna? Now are you gonna come back and, and bring the kingdom, put down all of your enemies, and put us back where we're supposed to be? Put us back on top, make everything right. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, uh, "Was it? Is it verse six? Maybe seven? Um, no, not at all. Uh, verse eight. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." 
Now think about that. If you're the disciples, I would think that you would want to say, oh, okay, why don't you do it? You're the son of God that just died and rose from the dead. Why do you need us? Why, why don't you just do it, right? Just bring the kingdom in its fullness. Or at least, why don't you be the one that testifies to yourself? Um, why is it not over now? But the kingdom of God is not what you expect. And that's a huge point. The kingdom of God comes in a different way than we typically expect, right? And it's already been doing this. Think about, um, think about the greatest event in history, right? Jesus, arguably, Jesus dying on the cross. The Son of God being crucified and killed. It's probably the most tragic and, and absolutely wrong thing ever, right? It's the only perfect guy, and he's being killed. And yet, at the same time, it's that very act that is redeeming the earth and redeeming his people. The worst thing ever is the, actually the greatest thing ever at the same time. The kingdom is, in a sense, backwards. Rather, we're backwards and the kingdom is straightforward. Um, so it's the flavor of the kingdom that it doesn't come how we expect it. Um, and so he says, Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to advance this kingdom. Think about who his disciples were. They were normal people. Fishermen, tax collectors, they were nothing special. But Jesus uses them. And all right, you might think, okay, fair enough, right? Disciples were normal people, but after all, they were disciples, right? Hello, they're in the Bible, right? But then something amazing happens in Acts 2 that we're going to talk about next week. When the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't just come on the disciples. He comes on the disciples and then everybody else. Garden variety, average, everyday normal Christian people. Why does he do that? I want to suggest to you that this is what's at the, the heart of this. Is that God shows his strength through weakness. The kingdom's backwards because God... Backwards, because God shows his strength through weakness. All right, this is one of my favorite illustrations. Do you remember, it's going to push you a little bit on, on your age. Do you remember the dream, the dream Team, or at least remember hearing of them, the Dream Team, 1992, the Olympic basketball team, right? Basketball, it's an American sport. But... All right, you remember the people on the Dream Team? Some of them? Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, right? They were ridiculously good, right? Um, who coached them? Free response. Who coached them? Anybody? No. All right, you don't know who coached them. I polled a couple of my friends about this as I was getting this together and uh, asked them the same thing. You know, you can name plenty of people on it. So who coached them? No idea, no idea. One guy said, who, who cares who coached him? You and I could have coached him and they'd have won gold, right? Um, all right, so then I asked my friends another question that I'm going to ask you. Uh, who was the coach in the movie Hoosiers? Or who played him? Gene Hackman. You remember his real name? Anybody? No? But you know who I'm talking about, right? Norman Dale, by the way. Um, Chuck Daly was the uh, coach of the 
So I asked my friends, who is the coach for Hoosiers? And they both immediately said, Norman Dale. Norman Dale. Now, why do you remember Norman Dale, or Gene Hackman, fair enough, and not Coach Daly, right? And I think the reason is this. Because it's not really impressive to take Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, you know, on and on and on, and go win a championship. That's not hard to do. But what is hard to do is to take a bunch of, you know, um, average middle American guys from a small school and go win the championship, right? You remember the coach of Hoosiers because he, he took... He took the outsiders, he took the, uh, you know, the small school, he had less to work with, he had virtually nothing to work with, and he, and he did it, right? He won. And that's why you, that's why you remember him. Um, because he's a great coach. You don't have to be a great coach uh, to coach the dream team. And I think, in, in a sense, that's what's going on here. That God uses average, in a sense, average, everyday, normal Christian people messed up, sinful people to bring his kingdom to this earth because as it comes and when it comes, one thing will be clear, that it wasn't because of us. Right? What it does is it, is it shows that if this thing gets done, it's only because God is good and it brings all the glory to God. It evidences his power and not theirs or ours. And so he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because they can't do anything in their power. So what does that mean for us? Application real quick. Well, it means great news. It means great news because it means that the kingdom, this kingdom that God is bringing to this world to change it, it's for sinners. It's for messed up people. It's for, it's for people that can't get it together. It's for the weak. It's for the losers. It's for the people that can't can't get it together and start living right for God because they decided to this time. It means that the kind of people that God uses are people that are, that are bankrupt before God. And that's the gospel. And then one last thing about that. How, how is he going to change the world through him? We already said this. That they're going to witness. He's called us, if you, if you follow him, he's called us to witness What's so special about the church? How is it able to grow? It, I mean, you see the beauty of this? The God of the universe it gives, his, gives his people, gives people that, that are pathetic, quite frankly. I'm talking about myself. He gives poor, spiritually poor people the opportunity to change the world. Here's what you get to be a part of. Here's what you get to take part in. <laughs> Bringing the kingdom of God to this earth changing the world around you. I mean, that... The church understands the reality it lives in, that it's not just doing daily life, that it's changing the world. It's bringing the kingdom of God. That's purpose. And our last point, fourthly, finally, this kingdom is ruled by the king. In the last part of the passage, we see Jesus ascend to heaven in the cloud, right? He's taken up into heaven in this cloud. And now, you know, probably picture some sort of like puffy, white, like the cotton ball, like marshmallow kind of thing, and sort of like this elevator, and Jesus lifts up. Um, and I, I don't think that that's really the picture. Um, we've seen this cloud before, right? It's all throughout the Old Testament. 
Um, the Israelites followed it in the wilderness because they were wandering through the desert. It descended on Mount Sinai when uh, God met with Moses to give him ten commandments. It enveloped the tabernacle when they, when they built the temple. In ex, uh, or tabernacle, sorry, in Exodus 40. It filled the temple in its dedication. Basically, this cloud is the Shekinah, what we call the Shekinah glory of God. It's, it's God's visible manifestation of his presence on earth. We saw it at Luke. has already written about it in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus was transfigured. So what does it mean? Well, it means that what we see here is Jesus being lifted up. He's ascending to his throne as the king of the universe. It's not just... It's not just showing you that you know he, he's, he's going away now. He, he's going up to his throne. He's taking his throne and his rule as the ultimate king with God the Father. So Jesus, Jesus is the king of this kingdom. So that means a lot of things, but I just want to highlight one. Because Jesus lived and died, was resurrected, and then ascended and took his throne. What does that mean for me and you? It means a ton of things, but one thing it means, it means that, that we can have access. Because Jesus went into heaven and took his throne, the right hand of God, because he gets to get in, because he came and took on our flesh, and that flesh ascended and went into heaven, it means that we can get in. It means that we have access. Because we have access now to the Father and to the throne of grace. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here it is. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> when, I, uh, when I graduated college, went to Ole Miss in Oxford, when I got out of college, I worked as a youth director there in town, and uh, one of uh, my students, his dad was the president of the bank that I used. It's right there on the square, kind of one of the prominent banks there. His dad was the president. And I know, because he was also an elder in the church, so if I ever wanted to go see him, um, you kind of had to go through this big process. Right? You had to go talk to the secretary and tell, tell her who you were. She would call back to him and you know, talk about it. And if he, uh, you know, he would decide if you had to tell her why you were there and who you were. And then if he could see you, she would walk you back there. And then there was even another little assistant that you kind of had to check in with. And then she would walk you into his office and you get to go see him. Right? Um, and then one day, I was hanging out with, with his son, um, and he said, let's go by and see my dad. And so we run into the bank, and I'm walking over to go talk to Karen, the secretary, and he just keeps on walking. He's like, let's go. And he waves at the secretary, and we, just, we walk right on in, right? We walk past everybody, and when we get in there, you know, his dad's all excited to see him. Um, and obviously, the difference is... You know, why, why did I get to just breeze in the second time? Because I was with his son, right? The son has access to the father. He just gets to walk in because his dad loves him, right? Anybody else, you get, you get, a, lot of, uh, you get a lot of red tape. But the son has access. 
And that's what this is telling us. That because Jesus, our high priest, is the king, that we now have access to the Father. We get to just, we get to walk in, in a sense. And that's why the fact that the church understands the reality of this world, that God's bringing his kingdom to it, has caused it to spread like wildfire. Because the reality of that kingdom is that it's good news for people like us. It's good news for people that are broken and that are screwed up. Uh, it's good news for people that, that see awful things inside of themselves and just can't seem to fix it. Because the reality is that you get to get in for free because Jesus offers you to come on his credit and not your own. That's the beauty and the reality of the kingdom. And that's, in fact, an invitation to you tonight, to all of us. Won't you take it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, we give you great praise for what you've accomplished, that you came to this earth and that you took on flesh and that in what was the most in unjust moment ever, your death, and then in your resurrection and your ascension, Lord, that you rose and ascended victorious. And that because of that, you've infused your people. You've given them the opportunity to see that this kingdom is very real and that it only accepts people that need it, that need good news. Lord Jesus, I pray that that would be true of all of us tonight, and if it's not, would you make it so? We ask it in your name. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing one last song.